Well, join me, if you would, in the book of num- Numbers, excuse me, Esther, the book of Esther, chapter 9, as we have our last midweek service for this year, 2023. I have greatly enjoyed going through the book of Esther. I have greatly enjoyed going through the book of, of uh, Numbers. I'm enjoying going through the book of Jude. I've enjoyed the book of Luke as Brother Mike brought that, that is where we should be in God's Word. I quote, I'm going to quote something from the man that brought me the gospel, and he says, how do I know that my gospel is the gospel? Number one, it glorifies God. Number two, it is true to the Old Testament scriptures. Number three, it rests on the person and work of Christ. Number four, it enables God to be just and justifier by honoring the law and satisfying justice. Number five, it can save the chiefest of sinners. And number six, it will keep a person saved. Now that's why we preach this gospel. It is the gospel of God's word. And another person said, the gospel isn't one class among many that you'll attend during your life as a Christian. The gospel is not one class among many. The gospel is the whole building that all classes take place, rightly approached all the topics you'll study and focus on as a as a believer, will be offered to you within the walls of the glorious gospel. uh, One person was sharing with me one time the difficulty with having a systematic theology, and they put angels on the same plane as God's sovereignty, or this subject or that subject. So they have their place, but it is our intent to look into the gospel, and that's what we have here in the book of of Esther, the the gospel. We have it pictured, we have it typed, we have it shadowed, and it will take us to the New Testament, and there we will find out this is a symbol of that. And we want to look at what the symbol represents. We want the reality of it. Here in this ninth chapter of the book of Esther, in the latter part of it, I, I think there's four or five times that we are shared with the information that the children of Israel were delivered from certain death. They were delivered by the command of the king, by the uh, pleading of the queen, and by the servant Mordecai. They were delivered from certain death, and they are called on, the Jews are called on to celebrate. Now, through this latter part of this chapter, we find, I think, four or five times they are, it is shared with us what they're going to celebrate, how they're going to celebrate, and what they're going to celebrate about. They have rest. They have rest. They didn't have that before. They're on edge. Now they're at rest. And we find that it's peace. And we find that this is a glorious thing. So we're going to have a reminder about this. We're going to have a remembrance of this. And the Jews, I guess, still do it. The church doesn't have to. we got better things to do now. We, re- we delight in, we worship, we remember the Lord Jesus Christ's great work of 
salvation on our behalf, and we delight in that. So we don't have to go back to just a physical deliverance. We get to go back to the spiritual deliverance. We get to go back to Christ. Well, here in the ninth chapter, uh, I marked through here just a couple of places. It tells us there in verse uh, uh, 22, as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the mouth which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy, from morning into good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. Verse 23, the Jews undertook to do as they had begun. Mordecai had written unto them. In verse 19, backing up just a little, therefore the Jews of the village that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the 14th day of the month, Adar, a day of gladness and feasting, a good day, and sending portions one to another. And then if we go over to verse 27, the Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined them unto them so as to they should not fail that they would keep those two days according to their writing and according to their appointed time every year. And verse 28, and that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city, and that their days of Purim would be not fail from among the Jews, nor their memorial of them should perish from the seed. And then we find that Esther the queen and daughter of Abihail and Mordecai the Jew wrote all authority to confirm this second letter of Purim. Time and time again, we find that this is brought up. It is recorded what took place, the deliverance that, was ta- that took place, and then the celebration from the deliverance. Here we have something that God has shared with us time and time again about that. You know, memory is a divine gift. I was thinking about that today. You know, our brain is a marvelous thing. I have seen some brains, not human brains, but other brains, and I wonder how in the world can this mass see, taste, hear, cause mobility of our muscles, cause mobility of our fingers and hands. All of that stuff that we do is controlled by that mass that's in our skull. And God must have had a tremendous work in that, to do that, And yet it is so small for God to do something like that. That's God's work of glory. So we have that. And we find out that memory is a divine gift. How that we can remember what took place yesterday or 20 years ago or 50 years ago. I was just looking and this coming uh, January 18th, I believe. We've been in this building 27 years. I remember when we moved in. I remembered the old place, you know, and it wasn't that bad. I was ready to sit there for the rest of my life at least. Wasn't an issue. Well, we remember those things. We have Christmas and New Year's, Thanksgiving, Valentine's Day memories. We have good memories. We have bad memories. And God has given that to us. We find that every individual has their memories, good or bad. We still have those memories. And every family has its memories, anniversaries, birthdays, important things and times. And you know what? Every nation has its memories. And if we look into the times that Israel was caused to remember, we find out that there are some pretty sad times. So as we think about remembering, and we're going to take this to the New Testament real soon, but if you think about memories and remembering, we find out that God 
called on Israel to remember some times when they were not following him. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Judges, chapter 24. Judges, chapter 24. The scriptures share with us the memories that were written down concerning the nation of Israel, which is the same kind of memories that any nation would have. Anybody in any nation. In the book of of Judges, chapter 24. No, 24? Oh, no. Not that again. Well, let's go to Psalm 106 then. Psalm 106. I have Nancy go through the bulletin twice or three times to correct me. I'm going to have to have her go through my notes. That's what I'm going to do. Psalm 106. Verse 7. Psalm 106, verse 7. Now... Every time we read the history of Israel in the Bible, it's God's word. It's not something that Israel may have liked to have had published, but it is God's word about natural man. And every nation is going to have this issue. Here in Psalm 106, there in verse 7, we read this. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt, They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Now, when we get over to the New Testament and we hear this message from Stephen, it raised a lot of ire people because he is going to go over the same historical events that we find here. Nevertheless, he saved them for his namesake that he might make his power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. They then believed they his words. They sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted the God in the desert. And he gave them their request. He sent them leanness into their soul. They envied Moses also in the camp, and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abram, and the fire that was kindled in their company, and the flame burned up the wicked. And, on, you know, as we read down through here, we're going through some of the stuff that we have read, some of the information we've read in the book of Numbers. And it's brought to our attention that the children of Israel, because of the hardness of their heart, because of the very state that they were in, that they were unbelievers before God, they had no real aspiration to serve God. In fact, we read in the New Testament that they, as well as we, are enmity against God. We don't have any compunction to serve him. And whatever he does, he owes it to us. And when he doesn't do it right, He owes it to us. We have these grandiose demands about God. And then God says to Israel, here, I brought you through. It wasn't you. I brought you through. They forgot God, their Savior, in verse 21, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea, 
Therefore, he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen, stood before them in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word. Can you imagine this psalm being chanted at the temple or the tabernacle by the Levites? We don't want 106 anymore. (laughs) Would you take that out of our book? You know, we don't like it. Well, that's what we have here is a reminder, a remembrance. Just as we find over there in the book of Esther, there's a positive thing. Please remember the greatness of God and the goodness of God to spare you from this certain death. Just as he did for us, certain death was ahead. And yet by his grace, he spared us of that and brought Christ to our knowledge and caused us to believe and trust on him and have him as our savior. And we go on our way rejoicing. We are at rest with him. Well, it goes on there in verse 26. Therefore, he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. This continues on. They joined themselves also unto Baal Peor and ate sacrifices of the dead. We've just read about Baal, Balaam. We've just gone through that. What a terrible thing. And they're over there enjoying the rich blessings of God. And here we have Balaam doing all he could. And then all he had to do is whisper into some people's ears. And we have things going on in the camp of Israel then stood up Phineas and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed. And that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes. Moses struck that rock twice, and for their sakes. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen, and learned their works, and they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. One more time, when this book is published, people are voting against having Psalm 106. It was just too much. Well, we find that Psalm 136 has the same thing to say. And over there in the book of Judges, there's a list too of the same thing, a remembrance, a national remembrance, a remembrance of what the nation was like. There were, in this nation, a remnant according to the election of grace that went completely and totally against all that was going on. They're the ones that said, no, I know the Lord. I'm trusting the Lord. What do we read with Joshua and Caleb? They said, no, you guys are crazy. Well, to those who understood, there was no need to explain it. And to those who didn't understand, there was no need to get it explained. They just couldn't go there. So they shed innocent blood, verse 38, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Acts, as we find again the national history. And the national history of Israel is the national history of the world. Without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world. And here in the book of Acts, we read this. It's a remembrance. Please remember these things. God told the church, don't ever forget the rock you were hewn from. (laughs) Remember grace. Always compliment God because of his grace. 
Grace cannot work aided. It must be alone. Grace must be alone. It cannot work aided. Grace is not grace if it's aided. Well, here in the book of Acts, chapter 6, Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Then there arose a certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and them of uh, Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit which he spake. You know what he did? He used the word. Now, if they're going to argue, they're going to argue against God. And that's what they did. I know what that is. I know what that is. I know what it is to dispute the word that some person is preaching out of the word and to argue with it. And really, you're not arguing with Stephen. You're arguing with God. God wrote it. God gave it. He gave those passages throughout the Old Testament to the remembering part. Remember this. Bring it to mind. He says there, they were not able, and then they suborned men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they went and hired people. They compelled people to come in and lie about Stephen. That's a common trait, isn't it? Yeah. If I don't like what you say, you're fat too. You know, let's get personal about it. That's what we do by nature. We find fault with the person who's bringing the message. They don't. What did they say about Paul's speech? Boy, it's not. He's not very good. We'd rather listen to this guy over here that is wordy and flowery. You know, if you read some of the old sermons, they said in ten thousand words what Paul said in five. <laughs> he just got down to the heart. All right. They suborn men. Verse 12, And they stirred up people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, This man speaketh not to, uh, ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. And we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as he had been the face of an angel. Kind of reminds me of Moses coming off of that mountain with the word of God. All right, go to the next chapter there. Then said the high priest, chapter Acts chapter 7, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Shuran. He speaks with grace, honor, and brings up Abraham and says the God of glory appeared unto him. Well, if we follow this out, we find that he goes through the history. He's a historian. He's bringing up what happened in the Old Testament. And then he preaches Christ and him crucified. He has caused them to remember. Oh, Lord. You know, <coughs> if we're caused to remember our original state, we find, oh, wretched man that I am. 
That's one thing about this gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is capable of being used to save the chiefest of sinners. It is used to save the chiefest of sinners. But it will not touch the Pharisee. God must work a work. God must work a work before that can happen. In Acts chapter 20, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. That whole chapter 7 is a wonderful chapter as Stephen brings up the history of Israel. Remember this. Remember what you did. Remember what your fathers did. Which of your fathers did not stone the prophets? And now we've got the prophets' graves whitewashed. We honor them. Well, at the time, they destroyed the prophets. And Jesus brought this up to, Israel, or to Jerusalem. Who stoneth the prophets that God sent unto you? One of the illustrations he made with regard to the kingdom. He said, uh, the owner of the vineyard left the country and he sent some ambassadors because he wants his portion. And they said, well, we don't like it. And they beat him up. I said, he said, I'll send my son. They'll honor him. They slew the son. Now, who is going to be upset? (laughs) Well, as we turn over here to the book of Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, we find that the Apostle Paul is very gracious to share with them that he did not, he did not withhold any true thing. In Acts chapter 20, we read these words, that the Apostle Paul was used of God to call to remembrance, to call to remembrance. That is, as those passages in Esther chapter 9 were called to remembrance. Remember what God did. Remember how God blessed you. Remember that he moved in a mysterious way in the heart of Ahasuerus. He had a queen, Esther, a Jew, put in the right place at the right time and had her cousin there just outside of the doors. All of this going on as he worked out his will from behind the lattice. You can see the marks on Esther's hands as she hands were raised by God Almighty and her mouth to speak for God and Mordecai and the silence that God brought upon Haman as justice was served and the word went out and many people were delivered from the consequences of Haman's hatred towards the Jews. And many of the natives of the uh, Persian Empire became Jews. What a revival took place. What a work. Now, I would be foolish to say all of them were saved or all of them were born again, but they certainly are a picture, a type, a shadow of God's great work among this world in saving his people, all of his people, out of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue. That's his job and his business. It is not us to motivate anybody out of the kingdom. It is for us to declare the history, the good news, the gospel. It's us to declare that. And what God does with that is going to bring glory to him and glory to the church. So here in Acts chapter 20, and there in verse 27, we read the Apostle Paul as he is sharing with this. He's never going to see these people. He, he knows he will never see these people again. You know, that's one of the things that prompts me every Sunday 
just preach the gospel. Because some of the people will never see it again. So it doesn't behoove us to preach other things. Everything can be under, brought under the gospel. It is where we are educated. It is our education. We don't look at this as just part of our Christian education. It is our education. The gospel is our education. Christ is all and in all. He is all. So when we do that, if someone should come for one Sunday, then they will not miss that. So that's what's necessary. One, not one Sunday missed. We must. We must bring this in. All right. Paul is sharing with a group of people that he'd never see them again. So I want to tell you something. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I have not stopped at any point. I have not ever thought, well, you know, these are some hard sayings and they'll probably cause a division and uh, maybe it'd be better if we just got along. He said he preached all the counsel of God and God split the nut where it had to happen. He preached everything. He withheld nothing. You know, one of the, my favorite statements is what the Lord shared with that man who baptized him. He is a chosen vessel. And it is not, it isn't days after the Apostle Paul began to preach and he's preaching God's sovereignty and elective grace. He didn't wait until he got educated about it. He just preached what comes natural and that is the gospel. God's salvation. All right. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He's going over historical matter here. And he's also sharing with them, feed the church of God. And he's just told them what to feed them. All the counsel of God. Hold back nothing. Now, we may not get it all covered today. And we may not get it all covered the next time we meet. But don't stop declaring all the counsel of God. God is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over salvation. He had an interest in some people before the foundation of the world. We find that the New Testament perspective... Well, um, let's back up to verse 20 of that chapter there. Just back up with me. Uh, in verse 20 of that 20th chapter, it says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. You know what he mentioned one time in one of, the, uh, one of his epistles? He says, don't get into discussion over genealogies and questions which gender strife. It's worthless. I'll never forget, Brother Henry says, I will not debate. It's worthless. There's no need of it. But I will discuss the scriptures. I will discuss the scriptures. So he says here, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. My goodness, over there in the book of Esther, chapter 9, this is all profitable. It needs to be known by the parents, the grandparents, the children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Now, what they do with it and how God blesses it is up to God. But they do need to know we have this celebration. And it is because God spared us. God spared us from doom. God moved marvelously in such a manner that the message went out 
that we were spared. All right, he says here, but I have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. You know what that means? He didn't change the message when he got around his friends. Publicly he declared something. House to house with his friends, he declared the same thing. It is grace, grace, and nothing but grace. All right. You know, uh, last week, I think it was, we were going through here, and we looked at a passage over in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, book of Luke chapter 22, we read this, but we want to go over it again because it is so important. This is our ministry. Remembrance. Last Sunday, I was pushing one of the ladies back to her room, and she says, the old, old story never gets old. And I said, you're right. The story of Christ and his salvation never gets old. And it's always what's needed to be remembered. Remember him. Remember his gospel. Remember him, where he came from, what he came to do, how he died, who he died for, how did he die, what did he die for. All of these things, they are to be remembered and brought up. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. I didn't. God did. I already took care of that. That's the history of mankind. God covers that quite well in the scriptures. We are sinners by nature, and we are sinners by practice, and we are sinners by choice. And God will overcome all of that on the behalf of grace and himself. All right, here in the book of Luke, chapter 22, and there in verse 19, we read these words. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and said unto them, This is my body which is given for you, not taken, given, I'm in charge of it. I will give it to whomsoever I will. This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Well, there's the gospel. Remembrance of him. What he did. Why did he come? How did he grow up? What did he do? Who did he preach to? Who did he heal? You know, it's interesting to go through the scriptures and find out well, he healed a, little, a leper over here, but that's the only person in the whole bunch that was healed. And then he healed 10 lepers at one time, and only one ever came back and thanked him about it. You know, even if God should take care of every ill that the human race has, unless he gives them grace, they will not come back and thank him for it. Do in remembrance, this do in remembrance of me. Now, turn with me if you would. We've read this too. Over in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as the Apostle Paul was used to bring this up. You know, it's interesting, foot washing was never brought up again. Nobody in the New Testament, except the Lord, did this. And it was to show Humility. And God's people will be humble people. God's people will be gracious people. But we don't have to wash our feet to show it. All right? We have baptism mentioned throughout the Scriptures. And the Apostle Paul was very intent because the Holy Spirit brought it to his attention. There's some people that are going to mess up on this. 
They're going to turn it into salvation. That's not right. You know how he headed off, but the Holy Spirit let him head off many arguments in the book of Romans. Oh, a bunch of you are going to think if, if it's grace and grace alone, then I can go do whatever I want to do. Well, you know, people are going to do whatever they want to anyway. It's the restraining hand of God that prevents his people from doing that stuff. So he said, no, 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 no. No, this is not a cloak for maliciousness. This is not a cloak for sin. This, you'll not do that. That's not going to be your thought about it. All right, here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We read this almost every time we take the communion service. The Lord Come to the Lord's table in verse 24 and 25. We have this. There's a time for remembrance. Remember. Here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. And when he had taken, had given thanks... He break it. You know, it's interesting that he thanked God for what he was going to do. We thank God for what he did. When he had given thanks, he break it and said, it's interesting here in the type that he didn't even let the disciples break it. It was going to be God that broke him. It's God that judged him. It's God that sent this most serious, most serious beating, this bruising, this justice served. Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Notice what he says, this do in remembrance of me. Isn't that the gospel? All right, next verse. And after the same manner, he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. As Esther chapter 9, four, five, six times in short place, he said, remember, remember. Remember what happened. Remember what took place. Remember the deliverance that you had. Remember. And when you have this feast once a year, remember it. Now there's going to be a time when nobody's going to remember the actual facts of it. But by the grace of God, you and I were not witnesses to the physical death of Christ on the cross. But by faith, we can see it just as if we were there. We are compelled to understand who it was for and what it accomplished. We have such great statements made in the scriptures. You know, there's another place over here in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 about remembrance. God gives us remembrance. It's a God-given blessing to remember something. But the scriptures are constantly reminding us. Remind, remember, remember, remember. And here in the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and there in verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says, wherefore, 2 Peter chapter 1, Verse 10, wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail or fall, excuse me. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent 
to put you always in remembrance of these things. Well, he's just mentioned some very important things to be brought to our remembrance. What did he say? Make your calling and election sure. And then he says, verse 12, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, that you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. We've got to go over the gospel again. There may be part of it. There may be this that we have not treated for a while. We need to go over that. We must go over it. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. How many times did he mention the word about remembering or remembrance? While I'm here, I want to cause you to remember, and when I'm gone, I want you to remember what I said to remember. That's a gospel preacher. Remember what Jesus Christ did for you. Make your calling in election sure. Remember, remember, remember. Call, that's why we read the scriptures. That's, that's why we, I don't know what helps you use. Hawker's morning and evening isn't bad. <laughs> Call to remembrance. I was reading something the other day and it reminded me of something Mike Baker said. You know how he says, there's no need to make a comment on this part. Well, <laughs> turn with me to Joshua chapter 4. It'll be a while before we get here, and I'm not sure that we're going to go to Joshua after we get through the book of Numbers. But in the book of Joshua, chapter 4, and in our message on Sunday, we're going to find out who's going to take Moses' place. Moses was more concerned about someone to take the place of leadership than he was about his own death. I thought that's a very commendable part of Moses. He's concerned about the people. It came to pass, Joshua chapter 4, it came to pass when all the people were clean, passed over Jordan. Joshua chapter 4 verse 1. They've gone into the land. All of Genesis, all of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is done. And they cross over Jordan. Or they're in the process. And it says, And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan. You know, that tells me a lot about the gospel. Everybody that God intends to save will be saved. And not one will be lost. Not one Israelite stayed in the land that was intended to be in the promised land. All those that died in unbelief, these came, these that were after that came through. Take you 12 men out of the people, out of every tribe of man, a man, 
and command ye them, saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in a lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord God, uh, Lord your God, in the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man unto you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask your fathers, their fathers, in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? What's this monument about? Why do we have museums? Why do we have the Wright brothers' first plane hanging in a museum? Why do we have the Spirit of St. Louis to remember what they did? Fantastic feats God allowed people to do. And here he said, one man representing one of the tribes pick up a rock and carry it on your shoulders and we're going to pile them up over here. Why? For the children. When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the water of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up... Twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests, which bear the Ark of the Covenant, stood. And there they were unto this day. For the priests which bear the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according all that Moses commanded Joshua. And the people hasted and passed over. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over that the Ark of the Lord passed over and the priests in the presence of the people and the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses spake unto them. Why was this monument of 12 stones raised up? When the children ask what this means, you tell them. God delivered you at this point. Well, we look at the point, at the cross. What does this mean? Tell the children of Israel that God delivered you here. Well, what about that where it says he went to the grave? Well, you just tell the children of Israel that when he came out, he symbolized he delivered you. He delivered us from sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let's remember that. Let's bring that to mind. And that's what we find the Apostle Paul said, I shall not to to declare to you all the counsel of God. Let's go to the garden. Let's go to the tomb. Let's go to the cross. Let's go to the manger. Let's go to the temple. Let's go wherever we go. We're going to see Christ. And we're going to see what he was in charge. He declared the end from the beginning. 
just like he promised. And then he said by his own words, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. So he's on the cross giving his life. Let's just take him at his word. He gave his life for the sheep. They took him down and buried him, just as the scripture said, in not a borrowed tomb, but a tomb nobody had ever laid in. Why? Because God said that's the way it's going to be. Well, the rest of it, let's just remember. Let's bring it to our attention. Let's bring it up. We have something to celebrate. The great grace of God in the salvation of his people. Now, they did it once a year. We do it every day. I'm sure the believers in that group, every day. Oh, thank you, Lord. We were in the straits, but you brought us out. Thank you, Lord. Every day. Thank you, Lord, you brought us out. And when they got all the word put together, we have this to go over and say, even in the night seasons, I know he is there. Remember this.